So today we are reading chapter four, A House Full of Books. Um, yeah, let's just get started. So I don't know whether I clarified this before in my other episodes, but basically before every chapter there's like a book quote just because um, obviously Inkheart, Mo and Meggie books are their life. Um, and I don't know whether that is coming through when I read it on this podcast, so I might just skip it. But if you want to hear it, let me know. I will read them in chapters to come. So this is chapter four, A House Full of Books. Maggie woke up because it was so quiet. The regular sound of the engine that had lulled her to sleep had stopped. The driver's seat beside her was empty. It took Maggie a little while to remember why she wasn't in bed at home. Tiny dead flies were stuck to the windscreen, and the van was parked outside an iron gate. It looked alarming, with sharp ashen grey spikes. A gate made made of spearheads just waited to impel anyone who tried to clamber over. It reminded Maggie of one of her favourite stories, the tale of the selfish giant who wouldn't let children into his garden. This was exactly how she had imagined his garden gate. Mo was standing in the road with Dustfinger. Maggie got out and went over to them. On the road, on the right of the road, a densely wooden, wooded slope fell steeply to the bank of a wide lake. The hills on the other side rose from the lake like giants emerging from the depths. The water was almost black and pale. Twilight, darkly reflected in the waves, was already spreading across the sky. The first lights were coming on in the houses on the bank, looking like glowworms or fallen stars. A lovely place, isn't it? Mo put his arm round Maggie's shoulders. I know you like stories about robbers. See that ruined castle? A notorious robber, robber band once lived there. I must, must ask Eleanor about them. She knows everything about this lake. Maggie just nodded and rested her head against his shoulder. She was so tired that she felt quite dizzy, but for the first time since they had set off, Mo's face wasn't looking grim with anxiety. Where does she live then? asked Maggie, stifling a yawn. Not behind that spiky gate. Actually, yes, this is the entrance to her property. Not very inviting, is it? Mo laughed, and led Maggie across the road. Eleanor is very proud of this gate. She had it specially made. It's copied from a picture in a book. A picture of the selfish giant's garden, murmured Maggie, peering through the in- in- intricately twining iron bars. The selfish giant, Mo laughed. No, I think it was another story, although that would that one would suit Eleanor pretty well. Tall hedges grew on both sides of the gate, their thorny branches hiding any view of what lay beyond. But even through the iron bars, Maggie could see nothing promising, except for tall rhododendron bushes and a broad gravel drive that soon disappeared between them. Looks like you have rich relations, Dustfinger whispered in her ear. Yes, Eleanor is quite quite rich, said Mo, drawing Maggie away from the gate. But she'll probably end up poor as a church mouse because she spends so much money on books. I think she'd sell her soul to the devil without thinking twice if he offered her the right book for it. He pushed the heavy gate open with a single movement. What are you doing? asked Maggie in alarm. We can't just drive in. 
for there was a notice beside the door, still clearly legible, even if some of the letters were partly hidden by the leaves of the hedge. Private property. No unauthorised entry. Maggie didn't think it sounded very inviting. Mo, however, only laughed. Don't worry, he said, opening the gate wider. The only thing Eleanor guards with a burglar alarm is is her library. She couldn't care less who walks through this gate. She's not what you'd call a nervous woman, and she doesn't have many visitors anyway. What about dogs? Dustfinger peered anxiously into the strange garden. That gate suggests at least three ferocious dogs to me. Big ones, the size of calves. But Mo just shook his head. Eleanor hates dogs, he said, going back to the van. Right, get in. Eleanor's grounds were more like a wood than a garden. Once they were through the gateway, the drive curved, as if taking a deep breath before going up on the slope, then lost itself among dark firs and chestnut trees which grew, grew so close together that the branches made a tunnel. Maggie was just thinking it would never end when the trees suddenly receded and the drive brought them to the open space covered with the gravel and surrounded by carefully tended rose beds. A grey estate car stood on the gravel in front of her house that was bigger than the school Maggie had been attending for the last year. She tried to count the windows, but soon gave up. It was a very beautiful house, but looked just as uninviting as the iron gate. Perhaps it was only the evening twilight that made the ochre yellow of the plaster look so dirty. And perhaps the green shutters were only closed because night was already falling over the surrounding mountains. Perhaps, but Maggie would have bet her last book they were seldom upon, even in the dead time. The dark wooden front door looked as forbidding as a tightly closed mouth, and Maggie involuntarily reached for Mo's hand as they approached it. Dustfinger followed warily, with his battered rucksack over his shoulder. Gwyn was probably still asleep inside it. When Mo and Maggie went up to the door, he kept a couple of steps behind them, looking uneasily at the closed shutters as if he suspected that the mistress of the house was watching them from one of the windows. There was a small barred window beside the front door, the only one not hidden behind green shutters. Below it was another notice. If you intend to waste my time on trivia, you'd better go away now. Maggie cast Mo an anxious glance, but he only made an encouraging face at her and pressed the bell. Maggie heard it ringing inside the big house, but nothing happened for quite a while. A magpie fluttered out of one of the rhododendron bushes growing near the house, and a couple of fat sparrows pecked busily at invisible insects in the gravel. But that was all. Maggie was just throwing them the breadcrumbs she had found in her jacket pocket, left over from a picnic on some long-forgotten day, when the door suddenly opened. The woman who came out was older than Mo, quite a lot older, although Maggie could never be quite sure how old grown-ups were. Her face reminded Maggie of a bulldog, but perhaps that was more her ferocious expression than its features. She wore a mouse grey sweater and an ash grey skirt, with a pearl necklace around her short neck and felt slippers on her feet, the kind of slippers Maggie had once had to wear when she and Mo had visited in a historic castle. Eleanor's hair was grey too. She had pinned it up, but strands were hanging down everywhere as if she'd done it impatiently and in a hurry. She didn't look as if she'd spent much time in front of a mirror. Good heavens, Mortimer, what a surprise, she said, without wasting time on further greetings. Where did you spring from? Her voice sounded brusque, and her voice couldn't entirely hide the fact that she was pleased to see Mo. Hello, Eleanor, said Mo, putting his hand on Maggie's shoulder. 
Do you remember Maggie? As you can see, she's quite grown up, up now. Eleanor cast Maggie a brief, irritated glance. Yes, so I see, she said. It's only natural for children to grow, wouldn't you say? As far as I remember, it's been years since I last set eyes on either you or your daughter. So what do I owe the unexpected honour of your visit today? Are you finally going to take pity on my poor books? That's right, Mo nodded. One of my library commissions has been postponed. You know how libraries are always short of money. Many Maggie looked at him uneasily. She hadn't realised he could quite lie quite so convincingly. And because it was so sudden, Mo continued, I couldn't find anywhere for Maggie to go, so I brought her with me. I know you don't like children, but Maggie won't leave jam on your books or tear out pages to wrap up dead frogs. Eleanor muttered something suspicious and scrutinised Maggie, as if she thought her capable of any kind of disgraceful con conduct, whatever her father might say. When you last brought her here, we could at least put her in a playpen, she remarked coldly. I don't suppose that would do now. Once again, she looked Maggie up and down as if she, she were being, being asked to admit a dangerous animal to her house. Maggie felt her anger make the blood rise to her face. She wanted to go home or get back in the camper van or go somewhere else, anywhere, so long as she didn't have to stay with this horrible woman whose cold purple eyes were boring holes in her face. Eleanor's gaze moved from Maggie to Dustfinger, who was still standing in the background looking awkward. And who's this? She looked inquiringly at Mo. Do I know him? This is Dustfinger. Uh, a friend of mine. Perhaps only Maggie noticed Mo's hesitation. He wants to go on south, but maybe you could put him up for a night in one of your many rooms? Eleanor folded her arms. Only on one condition. His name has nothing to do with the way he treats books, she said, and he'll have to put up with a rather spartan accommodation in the attic because my library has grown a great deal over the last few years. Nearly all my guest bedrooms are full of books. How many books do you have? asked Maggie. She had grown up upon... Sorry. She had grown up among piles of books, but even she couldn't imagine there were books behind all the windows of this huge house. Eleanor expected, inspected her again, this time with unconcealed contempt. How many? she repeated. Do you think I count them like buttons or peas? A very, very great many. There are probably more books in every room of this house than you will ever read, and some of them are so valuable that I wouldn't hesitate to shoot you if you dared touch them. But as you're a clever girl, or so your father assures me, you wouldn't do that anyway, would you? Maggie didn't reply. Instead, she imagined standing on tiptoe and spitting three times into this old witch's face. However, Mo just laughed. You haven't changed, Eleanor, he remarked. A tongue as sharp as a paper knife, but I warn you, if you harm Maggie, I'll do the same to your beloved books. Eleanor's lips curled in a tiny smile. Well said, she answered, stepping aside. You obviously haven't changed either. Come in, I'll show you the books that need your help, and a few others as well. Maggie had always thought Mo had a lot of books. She never thought so again, not after setting foot in Eleanor's house. There were, so, there were no haphazard piles lying around as they did at home. Every book obviously had its place, but where other people have wallpaper, pictures or just an empty wall, Eleanor had bookshelves. The shelves were white and went right up to the ceiling in the entrance hall through which she had first led them, but in the next room and the corridor beyond it were shelves the shelves were bla as black as the tiles on the floor. These books, announced Eleanor, with a dismissive gesture as they passed the closely, closely ranked spines, have accumulated over the years. 
They're not particularly valuable, most of them mediocre quality, nothing out of the ordinary. Should certain fingers be unable to control themselves and take one off the shelf now and again? She added, casting a brief glance at Maggie. I don't suppose the consequences would be so too serious. Just so long as those fingers have satisfied their curiosity, they put every book back in its right place again, and don't leave any unappetising bookmarks inside. Here, Eleanor turned to Mo. Believe it or not, she said, I actually found a dried up slice of salami used as a bookmark in one of the last books I bought, a wonderful 19th century first edition. Maggie couldn't help giggling, which naturally earned her another stern look. It's enough to la it's nothing to laugh about, young lady, said Eleanor. Some of the most wonderful books ever printed were lost because some fool of a fishmonger tore out their pages to wrap his stinking fish. In the Middle Ages, thousands of books were destroyed when people cut up their bindings to make the soles for shoes, or the hat uh, heat steam baths with their paper. The thought of such incredible abominations, even if they had occurred centuries ago, made Eleanor gasp for air. Well, let's forget about that, she said, or I shall get overexcited. My blood pressure is much too high as it, as it is. She had stopped in front of the door, which had an anchor and a dolphin coiled around it, painted on the white wood. This is a famous printer's special sign, explained Eleanor, stroking the dolphin's pointed nose with one finger. Just just the thing for a library, library door, eh? I know, they said Maggie. Aldus Manutius. He lived in a Venice and printed books the right size to fit into his customer's saddlebags. Really? Eleanor wrinkled her brow, intrigued. I didn't know that. In any case, I am for the fortunate owner of a book that he printed with his own hands in the year 1503. You mean it's from his workshop? Maggie corrected her. Of course that's what I mean. Eleanor cleared her throat and gave Mo a reproachful glance. As if it could only be his fault that his daughter was precocious enough to know such things. Then she put her hand on the door handle. No, child, she said, as she pressed the handle down with almost solemn reverence, has ever passed through the, this door, but as I assume your father has taught you a certain respect for books, I'll make an exception today. However, only on a condition you keep at least three paces away from the shelves. Is that agreed? For a moment, Maggie felt like saying no, it wasn't. She would have loved to surprise Eleanor by showing contempt for her precious books, but she couldn't do it. Her curiosity was too much for her. She felt almost as if she could hear the books whispering on the other side of the half-open door. They were promising her a thousand unknown stories, a thousand doors into worlds she had never seen before. The temptation was stronger than Maggie's pride. Agreed, she murmured, clasping her hands behind her back. Three paces. Her fingers were itching with desire. Sensible child, said Eleanor, so condescendingly that Maggie almost went back on her decision. But then they entered Eleanor's holy of hope. Of holies. You've had the place renovated, Maggie heard Mo say. He added something else, but she wasn't listening any more. She just was staring at the books. The shelves on which they stood smelled of freshly sawn wood. They went all the way up to a sky blue ceiling with tiny lights in it, hanging there like stars. Narrow wooden stepladders and casters stood by the shelves, ready to help any reader up to the top shelves. There were reading desks with books lying open on them, held in place by brass chains that shone like gold. There were glass display cases containing books with pages stained by age, but showing the most wonderful pictures. Maggie couldn't resist moving closer. One step forward, a quick glance at Eleanor, who luckily had her back turned, 
and she was right beside the display case. She bent lower and lower over the glass until her nose was touching it. Prickly leaves twined around brown, pale brown letters. A tiny red dragon's head was spitting out of flowers over stained paper. Riders on white horses looked at Maggie as if scarcely, scarcely a day had passed since someone painted them with tiny marten hairbrushes. A man and woman stood beside them, perhaps a bridal couple. A man with bright, a bright red hat was looking angrily at them. You call that three paces? Maggie spun around in alarm, but Eleanor didn't seem too angry. Yes, the art of illumination, she said. Own, once only rich people could read, so the pictures painted round the letters were to help the poor people to understand the stories too. Of course, no one planned to give them pleasure. The poor were put into the world to work, not to have a nice time or look at pretty pictures. That kind of thing was only for the rich. No, the idea was to instruct the poor. Usually the stories came from the Bible, and everyone knew them anyway. The books were put in churches, and a, and a page was turned every day to show a new picture. What about this book? asked Maggie. I shouldn't think this one was ever in a church, replied Eleanor. More likely it was made for a very rich man to enjoy. It's almost 600 years old. There was no missing in, missing the pride in her voice. People have committed murder, murder for such a book. Luckily I only had to buy it. As she spoke these last words, she turned abruptly and looked at Dustfinger, who had followed them into the library, soundless as a prowling cat. For a moment, Maggie thought Eleanor would send him back into the corridor, but Dustfinger stood in front of the shelves, looking so impressed, with his hands behind his back, that he gave her no reason to turn him out, so she just cast him a final distrustful, distrustful glance and turned back to Mo. He was standing at one of the reading desks with a book in his hand, its spine hung only by a couple of threads. He held it very carefully, like a bird with a broken wing. Well, asked Eleanor anxiously, can you save it? I know it's in terrible shape, and I'm afraid the others aren't in much better way, but... Oh, that can all be put right. Mo put the book down and inspected another. But I think it will take me at least two weeks. If I don't have to get hold of it, more materials, which could mean I need more time. Will you put up with us that long? Of course, Eleanor nodded. But Maggie noticed the glance she cast at Dustfinger. He was still standing beside the shelves near the door and seemed entirely absorbed in looking at the books, but Maggie sensed that he had missed none of what was being said behind his back. There were no books in Eleanor's kitchen, not one, but they ate an excellent supper there at the wooden table that came, so Eleanor assured them, from the scriptorium of an Italian monastery. Maggie doubted it. As far as she knew, as far as she knew, the monks had worked at desks with sloping tops in the scriptorio of their monasteries, but she kept this information to herself. Instead, she took another slice of bread and was wondering how nice the cheese standing on the supposed scriptorium table would be when she noticed Mo whispering something to Eleanor. Since Eleanor's eyes widened greedily, Maggie concluded that they could only be discussing a book, and she immediately thought of brown paper, a pale green linen binding and the anger in Mo's voice. Beside her, Dustfinger surreptitiously slipped a slice of ham into his rucksack for Gwyn's supper. Maggie saw a round nose emerge from the rucksack, snuffling in the hope of, a more, of more delicacies. Dustfinger smiled at Maggie when he noticed her looking at him and gave Gwyn some more ham. He didn't seem to find anything odd about Mo and Eleanor's whispering, but Maggie was sure the two of them were planning something secret. After a short time, Mo rose from the table and went out. 
Maggie asked Eleanor where the bathroom was and followed him. It was a strange feeling to be spying on Mo. She couldn't remember ever doing it before, except last night, when Dustfinger had arrived, and the time when she had tried to find out what, whether Mo was Father Christmas. She was ashamed of stealing after him like this, but it was his own fault. Why was he hiding the book from her? And now he might be going to give it to, to this Eleanor, a book Maggie wasn't allowed to see. Ever since Mo had hurriedly hidden it behind his back, Maggie hadn't been able to get it out of her head. She had even looked for it in Mo's bag before he loaded his things into the van, but she couldn't find it. She had, she just had to see it before it disappeared, maybe into one of, one of Eleanor's display, display cases. She had to know why it meant so much to Mo that, for its sake, he would dra drag her all the way here. He looked round once more in the entrance hall before leaving the house. But Maggie ducked down behind her chest just in time. The chest smelled of mothballs and lavender. She had decided to stay in hiding there until Mo came back. He'd be sure to see her if she went out of doors. Time passed painfully slowly, as it always does when you're waiting for something with your heart thumping hard. The books in the white bookcases seemed to be watching Maggie, but they said nothing to her, as if they sensed that there was only one book Maggie could think about just now. Finally, Mo came back carrying a package wrapped in brown paper. Perhaps he's just going to hide it here, thought Maggie. Where could you hide a book better than among ten, ten thousand others? Yes, Mo was going to leave it here, and then they'd drive home again. But I would like to see it, thought Maggie, just once, before it's put on one of those shelves I'm supposed to stay three paces away from. Mo passed her so close that she could have touched him, but he didn't notice her. Maggie, don't look at me like that, he sometimes told her. You're reading my thoughts again. Now he looked anxious, as if he wasn't quite sure he was doing the right thing. Maggie counted slowly to three before following her father, but a couple of times Mo stopped so suddenly that Maggie almost ran into him. He didn't return to the kitchen, but went straight to the library. Without looking back once, he opened the door with the Venetian printer's mark on it and closed it quietly behind him. So... There stood Maggie among all the silent books, wondering whether to follow him and ask him to show her the book. Would he be very angry? She was just about to summon all, up all the courage and go after him when she heard footsteps. Rapid, firm footsteps, quick and impatient. That could only be Eleanor. Now what? Maggie opened the nearest door and slipped through it. A four-poster bed, a wardrobe, silver-framed photographs, a pile of books on the bedside table. A catalogue lying open on the rug. Its pages full of pictures of old books. She was in Eleanor's bedroom. Heart thudding, she listened for noises outside. She could hear Eleanor's energetic footsteps and then the sound of the library door closing for the second time. Cautiously, she slipped out into the corridor again. She was still standing outside the library undecided when she felt a hand suddenly laid on her shoulder from behind. Another hand stifled her cry from alarm. It's only me, breathed us finger into her hair. Keep quiet or we're both in trouble, understand? Maggie nodded and Dustfinger slowly took his hand away from her mouth. Your father's going to give the old witch that book, right? He whispered. Has he taken it out of the van? Tell me. He did have it with him, didn't he? Maggie pushed him away. I don't know, she snapped. Anyway, what business is, is it of yours? What business is it of mine? Dustfinger laughed quietly. Well, perhaps I'll tell you sometime 
just now. All I want to know is whether you've seen it. Maggie shook her head. She didn't know herself why she was lying to Dustfinger. Perhaps because he had pressed his hand over her mouth a little too hard. Maggie, listen to me. Dustfinger looked at her intently. His scars were like pale lines that someone had drawn on his cheeks. Two slightly curved marks on the left cheek. A third and longer line on the right cheek running from ear to nostril. Capricorn will kill your father if he doesn't get that book, hissed Dustfinger. Kill him, do you understand? Didn't I tell you what he's like? He wants the book, and he always get, gets what he wants. It's ridiculous to believe that it'll be safe from him here. Mo doesn't think so. Dustfinger straightened up and stared at the library door. Yes, I know, he murmured. That's the trouble. And so, he said, putting both hands on Maggie's shoulders and propelling her towards the closed door. So now you're going to go in there, the picture of innocence, and find out what the pair of them are trying to do with that book, okay? Maggie was about to protest, but before she knew it, Dustfinger had opened the door and pushed her into the library.